2: was so a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is
0: the stupid cancer show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mundus. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hey, hey, kids. People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now the hosts of the Stupid
3: Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zappa. Woohoo!
1: hoo Not that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, Yeah. Monday, July 16th, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer.
0: And my name is Lisa Bernhard, and I'm a 17-year
1: young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world, one chemo infusion at a time.
0: All right, tonight, show, everybody, we are talking DNA and what the heck is a telomere? Did I say that correctly, Matthew? Telomere, yes. Telomere, genomics in the future of psychosocial well-being through cancer with our guest, Larry Wenzel, Ph.D., professor of medicine and public health at the University of California at Irvine. Edward Nelson, Dr. Edward Nelson. He is Associate Professor of Medicine and Molecular Biology and Biochemistry at the University of California at Irvine and kicking it off in the Survivor Spotlight. Lisa Lambert, she's an attorney and a young adult survivor of breast cancer.
1: Okay, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer. Online all the time at stupidcancer.org. We are not your father's cancer society, but we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So welcome aboard another fun and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission ain't a cure, but survivorship is all that matters.
0: And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan.
1: And a final reminder, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat room during each and every broadcast, and we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And here we are. Yay! Welcome back. Hello, hello. We are in the middle of July.
0: Yes, we are, and it's hot.
1: It is 107,000 degrees. Oh, my. And half of America is burned up.
0: That's right. Although we got some tornado like storms yesterday.
1: It was bad. Yeah, it was bad. It's but like we Jake, needed the rain. It was Jake Dillonhoe bad. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we, the rain was good. Roland Emmerich bad.
0: But when things get knocked down, that's bad.
1: Hello, James Manning. Hello, Matt. How are you? Is it P. James P. Manning? Yes, it is. That is correct. How are you Hi doing? Hi,
2: James. I'm good. Hey, Welcome Lisa. back.
1: Thanks. What are you up to?
2: Uh, taking summer school class. Okay. Tell us about tell us the course because this is the interesting. The course is called Perversity,
1: Deviance, and Social Control. My old job. Gypsies, tramps, and thieves. <laughs>
4: wow. Something like That's that. That's
0: most of Manhattan, isn't it? Uh yeah. Do you just roam the streets of New York? <laughs>
4: with, with a handicap, yeah. It's the name of my book, actually, <laughs> uh, and your band. You. It's not quite Fifty Shades of Grey, but it's it's oh. getting there.
1: You know, Jess is reading that book. My wife, Jess, is reading that book, and she's Uh-oh. like, "What is this all about?" She doesn't get it. Uh-oh. She
0: doesn't get S and M.
1: No, no, I mean like she's like It's not all
4: the hype, you know. There's nothing. There's no there there.
0: Isn't that what it is? I ha- I have not read it. I, have I
4: don't know. To say. It's like Twilight with a few extra grunts. Oh, okay, Kevin, you've read it three times. Yes, now. I've yes. read the trilogy three times. <laughs> Sixty
0: and seventy shades of grey. Yes.
4: yes. A ginger oh, bom, shade
1: of gray. Bom. No, no 50 shades of ginger. Right.
0: Ginger has an Amish person's beard. I
1: do. I, it's
0: 12,000 uh, degrees outside, I, uh, and he's growing facial hair down to his...
4: <laughs> <throat> Hello? I, uh, I didn't get the memo down about the his, heat. And, uh, <laughs> I'm growing this beard. I don't know why I'm growing the beard. I make go home and trim it. He's, look,
0: he's wearing, a, he's, he's wearing a black shirt. He needs a straw hat, and we call him Ezekiel. <laughs> yeah, but
4: like one of those... Uh, Reflective triangles on the back of my horse and carriage. Yes, and I will come deliver some jam. <laughs>
0: you know, I actually, I actually did a bike ride through Amish uh, territory once. I did the AIDS ride, and you know what? I saw an Amish woman using a weed whacker. Isn't nice, it, isn't that illegal like in sac- Amish
4: land? You see all sacrilege at her. Nice. Yeah,
0: they they're not supposed to be doing it, but that's I I did see that.
1: I know I've said this on the air before, but Jess and I were in the Amish country about ten years ago, and we saw a buggy at an ATM pull up drive through. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a photo somewhere on the Facebook uh, of this actual buggy. There's such cheaters at, a,
4: at an ATM yeah. drive-up. Cheaters, those Amish. Yeah, they were in front of it. We wanted to get cash. And they were in front of me. That's like I took some a photo through the front window. That's like someone in the subway begging for change with like crutches and a, you know a <laughs> really sad sign. Then they you know pull the crutches and just walk away. No exactly. Problem. Yep. yep. One yep. of
0: those perverse people that James is. Perversity,
4: yeah. man. Yeah. Perversity.
0: Yes. yes, indeed.
4: Anyway.
2: Oh, well. So
1: I want to give a personal shout out. We have a dear friend of the organization who is uh going through some major brain surgery recovery. Uh Kaylee um uh Corzelius. 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 I Mordaunt was Formerly yeah, yeah. more, more daunt. Uh huge shout out up to our Buffalo chapter editor, Kaylee and Matt Corzelius. Hi, uh, Kaylee, Kaylee and we are Matt. wishing you uh the speediest of recoveries, love, health and prayers, uh for a uh a get well quick. Absolutely. Yeah, Kaylee. Um Kenny, you should tell the story. This is this is the unique splendor of the Young Adult Cancer book, with the randomness, the random serendipity of, of life as we find other young adults. Yes.
4: I'll uh, we'll keep it short. We basically had a meeting uptown, went out for a bite in Times Square. And as I used to do a lot, I guess I should get back to doing it, I used to leave uh, wristbands in the check when we would pay a bill at a restaurant. So, coincidentally... Our, uh, not our direct waiter, but left one for him as well. Happened to be Matt Corzelius working at this restaurant in Times Square and sent us an email the next day to you know, the general mailbox saying, hey, you know I met you guys last night in the restaurant. Really serendipitous that you've left this, and we've been going through all this stuff for the past couple of years. So it was great to meet them that way. And now we Wasn't
0: have. Wasn't he a singing waiter at that restaurant? <laughs> he was. Yes, yeah. Yes, he, he was
4: at Ellen Stardust Diner. Right. Right. Yep. And I've seen him perform outside of his role at the diner, and he is very talented.
0: He's a cute he guy. He's
4: very talented. Yeah. Yep. And now he dons our, or he he Well, they are single-handed. They're an
0: adorable res- couple. Yes,
1: they are. She's they they just got married a yeah. year ago. Um, they came to the OMG Summit, and uh, really amazing. They're and, fa- and, They're um, a wonderful couple. They are single-handedly responsible for our Buffalo That's chapter. That's right. Go Buffalo. And our great relationship with Roswell.
0: Do you think it's hot in Buffalo? It's never hot in Buffalo. I don't think
1: it's possible to be I think hot in Buffalo. in Buffalo. It's snowing in Buffalo. Probably is. Buffalo's underwater. I should go up there. Right. What? With my beard. With your beard. Yes. yes exactly. Exactly. So anyway, Lisa, you were asking me what tonight's show is really about. Um, <laughs> I, I was trying <laughs> I'm to. I'm only one of the co-hosts. I was <laughs> I trying to explain it to you pre-show, but I, yeah. we'll, we'll hear more from, from the experts when they get on the on the air. But the the gist is that they have now been able to quantify uh how to improve quality of life and mental well being and lowering stress through your actual DNA. So it's it's exercises that they'll go into detail with, but it's beyond meditating, it's beyond like something you can induce on your own. It's how to basically modify your genetics to so help you relax more effectively.
0: So it's fascinating with so much going on with the actual cancer, the disease itself with with genetics, right? this is your
1: emotional well-being right. Diving,
0: tapping into genetics for your emotional well-being
1: but it's beyond psychosocial, it's like right. really biological it's epigenetic, fascinating. and it's fascinating stuff and we had um, Larry and Ed were speakers at this uh, UCI, UCI, University of California Irvine special education workshop that I attended earlier this spring, and they gave a 45 minute lecture on this science, and I was blown away by it so we've wow. we got to get you guys on the show
0: Let's talk very quickly before we go, get to the show that so now everybody knows what the show's about, including me one of the co hosts. Um, so the new uh head of Yahoo, Marissa Meyer. Yes. So you knew her because she was at Google because you were part of something called Google Health. So tell us just quickly. So now she's the big, you know, Yahoo.
1: I mean, I can't say uh, that we. I can't say we've like gone out for dinner or anything, but okay. Well, I was,
0: anyway, just explain what Google Health. I was, was recruited to Google Health yeah. back
1: in 2006 when the digital health space was finally emerging after the social networking space and Facebook was coming around. How do we get patients to own their digital data, their rights, and how do we get that technology as a standardized platform across the country that hospitals can adopt?
2: through Google,
1: where you have, you you are the only one that controls your data, but you go see the doctor and they have your Google, and you go to the, the the pharmacy and they have your Google, and you basically determine who has the privileges to control your data. Right. So it was a really great idea in concept. So I was on this board, and uh, a gentleman named Adam Bosworth was in charge of initially, and he went on to start his own thing in 2007. But Marissa Meyer, uh, who was the, the VP of products and programs, I believe, Came on to run the Google Health Board, and I interacted with her twice a year for, for four years, um, and uh, she we, we became Facebook friends, and we she got married recently, and you know, really a wonderful, very intelligent woman. She's worth a ton of money, but she was like Google employee number like seven or eight. Yeah, she's been with them for twelve or thirteen years now. So I mean, she earned and deserves what she has. But yeah, I was really surprised that she was tapped to be the CEO of Yahoo. Big and, deal. She,
0: and and bypassed uh, this guy, Levinson, who's Ross Levinson, who's been there. He's been the interim CEO, and right. I guess it was his job to lose, which I guess he did. Uh, anyway, so, well, right. congrats to her.
1: Yeah, big deal. Not that she listens to the show, but kudos to Marissa Meyer.
0: You never know. You
1: never know. That's true. That's true. All let's right, get well, her on here. Let's get to our, uh, our first guest here, then.
0: This be me, yeah? This be you. Lisa Lambert was diagnosed with invasive cancer in both breasts at age 32 just a few weeks after her first wedding anniversary. She's a practicing attorney who graduated from UCLA School of Law, and she wants to make a damn difference in patient advocacy. That's right. That's why she's here. Welcome to the show, folks. Lisa Lambert. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Thanks for
3: having me. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you?
1: It's so nice to have you on the show. Thanks for uh, losing that bet and then coming on with us. <laughs>
3: That's
0: how most of our guests come on. Yes,
1: they lose bets. Yeah. So uh, we, you know, our show is really about the the voice of young adults affected by cancer. We're a generally underserved, underrecognized age group in the world of cancer, and we we just like to shed light on, sort of the uh, the inequities that that people face, the misdiagnoses, the not being taken seriously. You, of course, your story resonates with us and our, our entire social movement. And uh, I would just like to kick it off by having you start with, uh, with life before cancer and then how that all stupid stuff came into play.
3: Okay, well, life before cancer was pretty awesome. I I'd just got married a year before I was diagnosed. And my husband and I had just bought our first home a few months before I was diagnosed. And we were just starting to try to get pregnant. And then. One day, I was getting dressed, trying to shimmy into a top, and I found a lump. And fortunately, I told my husband and my parents, and they all urged me to go to the doctor immediately. And fortunately, my doctor took it seriously, sent me to get a mammogram. But I was just to be safe. She didn't actually think it was going to be cancer. And that came back suspicious, Uh, but they didn't think it was going to be cancer, but they sent me to get a biopsy of each breast. So I was completely floored when both biopsies came back positive. And then they sent me to get another biopsy, and that also came back positive. So I was diagnosed with three separate cancers in my breast in total, and I was actually diagnosed with cancer three days in a row. So the week just kept getting worse. It was completely surreal.
0: So you said three separate cancers in both breasts?
3: I had uh, three cancers total, two in one breast and one in the other. I had, I had invasive ductal in each breast plus lobular in two, which from my understanding is kind of rare.
1: Congratulations!
3: Yes. I had
0: I had both ducts, ductal and lobular as well. So did you really? Both sisters? Yes. This is mine was a long time ago, but uh, absolutely yes. Both ductal and lobular. I heard the same thing. Gee, this is kind of rare. Usually, it's one or the other. Yay me! Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and so, this was how long ago your diagnosis?
3: I was diagnosed at the end of last June.
0: The, end, end the, the, the
3: 27th, the 28th, and the 29th
0: <laughs> Okay, and so you were married a year And you were trying to get pregnant right. Um And so so how is that first, So then your your, your treatment was, was what? Surgery, chemo, radiation? What did you undergo?
3: I did a double mastectomy And I know a lot of women struggle with the decision Between a lumpectomy and a mastectomy But having three separate cancers Made that decision really easy for me Because clearly nothing good was coming from my breast um, And I was in the operating room within one month of finding the lump, and, and two weeks of diagnosis, and then I followed that with four and a half months of chemotherapy.
0: Okay. Did you do? Did Were you interested in reconstruction? Did you do that or no?
3: Yeah, I did that, and I was really lucky because they look awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. I understand that too. I mean, I had just in one breast, but I opted for the uh, mastectomy and reconstruction as well. Um, and so then you. And I'm sorry. You said you said chemotherapy.
3: Yeah, four and a half months. It was right. Pretty brutal. I was I was throwing up almost daily. It was awful. Wow. Where
0: were you being I was treated? Very happy
3: to be. I was being treated, uh, I went to a few different hospitals for the for the various different things I had to do, but I did my chemotherapy at Orange Coast Memorial and they were fantastic. Okay.
0: So how was it then with your marriage? You married just a year and this happens. Um tell us about your husband and your relationship and what you guys had to go through together to get such a a, a diagnosis so early into your marriage.
3: Oh, well, my husband is fantastic. I, I really lucked out. He's just one of the greatest guys ever and he was so supportive throughout this whole process and because, you know, cancer changes a lot of things and I was really sick, I couldn't work, I needed somebody to take care of me, um in the hospital for five days. Um and, you know, we learned that I can't get pregnant for five years because of this medicine that I need to be on to take to prevent the cancer from returning. Which uh, medicine that is that Tamoxifen.
0: Tamoxifen, sure. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and then also, you know, you learn that chemo can da- damage your fertility, so this was really hard for me to handle because we were trying to get pregnant when I was diagnosed. Yeah.
0: But um, did you do
3: really? Did you,
0: I'm sorry. Did you did you did they talk to you at all about um, preservation? Did you did you uh, fertilize any you know eggs or uh, freeze any embryos or anything like that?
3: Yes, we were really lucky. I was referred to a doctor who specializes in preserving fertility in young cancer patients. That's up at USC Fertility. And um, they're really fantastic. And I had great success because we were able to freeze 22 embryos. So if all went well, I think we could have our own basketball team.
0: (laughs) So you have an amazing story because you were not misdiagnosed. Everybody took you seriously. They acted quickly. They moved on it. They told you about fertility preservation. Boy, I mean, you're yeah. like you're you're a hopeful uh, guest. Unfortunately, somewhat rare in that regard. The hopeful anomaly. <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: No, I think everything went right for me. I had a wonderful team surrounding me, and I just I got everything done.
0: Supportive like, husband, and family, and uh, doctors. Right. Everybody pr- provided you with all kinds of information. That's uh, that's wonderful to hear. Although
1: the selfish key in all of this was, were you told about stupid cancer? <laughs>
3: I don't think I was. I I remember stumbling upon it at one point in time, and I was trying to see if there was a support group in the Orange County area. But I don't think there was one in this area. That was actually something. (laughs) (laughs) Not for you. That was not for you. That wasn't for you. That That (laughs) That was was for
2: your doctors.
3: Okay. we don't, no, put, I actually, don't usually blew
0: our gas, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bad practice. Right. <laughs>
3: I, I struggled finding a support group, actually. I The first support group that I went to, all the women were twice my age and 10 to 15 years outside of treatment. Yeah. And this was tough because I really just wanted to see another young cancer patient with no hair. And I didn't feel like I could talk about the fertility issues that I was facing with women that already have grandchildren. And I also didn't think I could talk with them about my inability to ever breastfeed with women who were way beyond that point. So going to that support group actually made me feel more like I was the only young person with cancer. Right, it just
1: reinforced how isolated you were.
3: Yeah, and I actually got excited because I found a support group that was supposed to be for women under 45, but I was the only patient under the age cutoff, and the night I went, they announced that they'd eliminated the under forty-five requirement, oh, that's and everybody awesome. in the yeah well, everybody in the room applauded except for me.
1: <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> it was it was a giant letdown for me because I was looking forward to meeting other young women like me dealing with right. the same issues.
1: Well, I so, mean, I hope I hope now that I mean it, it's only been a year, but uh, have you been at least besides us, of course, have you been introduced to the sort of the wellspring cottage industry of young adult cancer support organizations?
3: I have. I finally found a support group for young women under 40 with cancer that was created by two young UC Irvine cancer patients. Right. And when I went to that and I saw eight or so other young women with cancer, it instantly made me feel better, like I wasn't the only young person dealing with this mess. Good. And in case any of your listeners are from the Orange County or the Southern California area, I'll let them know that it's the third Wednesday of the month. It's at UC Irvine, and it's called uh, the Young Adult Cancer Sisters.
1: Now, were you at the... Um... The uh, that special educational workshop a couple of months ago at I UC was. Irvine. You were. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so great. you kind of know who I am, and I kind of maybe met you by accident, right? Yeah,
3: you, yeah. I, I know who you are, and <laughs> I might have had the sh- I might have had the shortest hair in the room that wasn't actually a wig. Oh, okay. Like, oh, which, J- yeah. oh, uh, you know what? Uh, uh, so, sorry
0: for, for interrupting you guys. So, Lisa, I'm going to put in the chat room. It's called the Young Adult Cancer Sisters at UC Irvine.
3: Yes, and it's the third Wednesday of the month. They have one this Wednesday, and the speaker is actually my fertility doctor that I went to who specializes in fertility for cancer patients. Fantastic.
1: Now, um I uh, Lisa, uh sorry, Ed and um and Laurie uh found you. Uh, have you been at all participating in their science and research?
3: No, I actually met uh Professor Wenzel and Laurie at the oh,
1: at, at the that event. Okay.
3: Yeah, and we've spoken a few times, and so she asked if I would uh, be interested in doing this tonight.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I can tell you that UC Irvine is the home of our board chairman, Leonard Sender, who also spoke uh, at that special event. So we want to make sure that he knows about the uh, the Young Adult Cancer Sisters program. Um, I mean, the, the, the mission of organizations like ours and others uh, are to just ensure that no one like you goes unaware of groups like these you'd think that that would be something that people would be concerned about when you're going through this uh, instead of sending to the 50-year-old support group.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, it's completely different issues that we face, and I definitely think from my own experience that there's a need for more emotional support services for young cancer patients. I, I also, another thing from my experience that I think would be helpful is, is if there was a network of advocates to help us navigate through the insurance coverage process, so we don't have to spend our energy fighting our insurance companies for coverage, but can instead focus on getting better. I don't know if if you've talked to other people who have faced that problem, but it's been a real nightmare for me.
0: Looks like you've spent a lot of time uh work, repeatedly doing lots of paperwork When claims and things for insurance Is well, that right?
1: Interestingly enough though uh, If you visit our website Supercancer.org We have a, a, a section called I need uh, Like I hate my insurance Or I, I need a lawyer Whatever it is about there, <laughs> are, right. there are three specific organizations That you should know about one of them is called the Patient Advocate Foundation. They're in Washington, D.C., and basically they're the ones that are that little old lady from the Incredibles who gets told how to fill out this form but not that form to get the loopholes working in their favor. The second one is called the Cancer Legal Resource Center right out of Loyola, up by Um, You can Google them. They do pro bono legal counsel for young adults and actually for anybody, but they have a young adult program to help you navigate insurance and sort of sue these people and fire these people. And there's a group called Cancer and Careers. Uh, They help you also navigate through uh, a lot of the um, the, the sort of the toils and troubles of going through this process. I guess then I should also mention one of our favorite groups is called the National Coalition of Oncology Nurse Navigators. Now, they're the people you want to have in the hospital with you because they're the ones that would tell you about us and these other groups while you're going through it.
3: Well, that's sounds like great resources. I'll definitely look into that. I
1: just exploded her brain. (laughs) But one thing you should do, if I could give you any prescription, is you must discover what is first descent.
3: I'm actually on their wait list.
1: Okay, Ah. good. All right, good. But
3: but I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with this. I'm signed up to go surfing in Maui through Athletes for Cancer.
4: Ah, they exhibited at uh, o-
1: yeah, OMG. They came, we uh, are, yeah, we have an annual, huge annual, like 700-person young adult conference in Vegas every year. So they were one of our exhibitors. Well, to get better acquainted okay. with their activities calendar. Yes.
0: First Ascent has added surfing now, too.
1: Yeah, they do. Yeah. They have surfing now, too. That's really epic. That's awesome. So when are you going to the surfing event?
3: Uh, end of October.
1: You looking forward to it?
3: I am. I'm a little nervous. I haven't tried surfing before, and it's definitely something i don't think i would have tried if it weren't for cancer but i i find with cancer that i, I have this mentality now well if i could deal with cancer i can i can do anything i can do a surfing or i can share my personal life with a bunch of strangers in a format that will be recorded forever on the internet you know right. <laughs> <laughs> so lisa
0: because you had the three uh, separate diagnoses any cancer in the family breast cancer in the I- family
3: uh, yeah, actually, um, my dad's sister had breast cancer, and she died of it a few years ago, but I never actually thought that it would hit me. I, uh, I don't know Ooh. why, but I thought I was really healthy, and it, it just wouldn't hit me. And then also, my my dad's had cancer. He's had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, I think, five times since I was 14. Wow. And it's actually been really helpful for me. I really benefited from his experience because he's been such a wonderful role model. I've never seen him feel sorry for himself for having cancer repeatedly, and he's never let cancer get in the way of having a great life. So it really helped me to see that life could continue to be great in spite of cancer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, were you? Uh, did you? Were you gene tested for the BRCA genes?
3: I was actually, and um, I, I tested positive for it. And it's it's a hard diagnosis to swallow. I think it's a, a massive burden because. You don't just then have to worry about your current cancer, but you have to worry about a whole slew of other cancers. Yeah. And it was also difficult for me to find somebody like me because I was able to eventually find young women with cancer, but I couldn't find others that were dealing with this diagnosis on top of it. I I found a wonderful group, FORCE, which is Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered. Well, we love
1: We work with them in Florida, yeah.
3: Do you? They're fantastic. Yes. Uh, So that's such a great organization because they cater to this population, but I had a hard time finding a young cancer patient with the mutation. At the support group, I found women who had had cancer, but they were significantly older. The younger women had the mutation, but they hadn't had cancer yet, so it was a little difficult to find somebody like me, and fortunately, I did meet someone who's seven years older than me and who had cancer at the exact same age as me, so it's great because she's like me but seven years out. So. Right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, if you want us to keep exploding your brain, here are three more resources for you. There's the Young Survival Coalition uh, at youngsurvival.org. They are a uh, young women with breast cancer social network. They're fairly large.
0: Yes, I'm sure they would be able to connect you they with uh, BRCA-positive. Yeah.
1: They have yeah. a, a thriving yeah. forums with thousands of women around the country of all ages who have, who have all different sects of rarities. Um, you might also want to look at our forums. These stupid cancer forums have 2,500-some-odd uh, people on there all the time with different types of cancers. And there's a great group out of Chicago called Bright Pink, uh, run by Lin- Lindsay Avner, who was a BRCA1 positive Uh, But she has built a really strong network of young women who are facing any kind of BRCA diagnoses out there. Um, So you're not alone. It just goes back to uh, letting people know that these resources exist, and that's the hardest part.
3: Yeah, and I'm actually – FORCE has a conference coming up, I think it's in October, and I think they have hundreds of BRCA people congregate there, and they have – Seminars, doctors on the latest and greatest research affecting this population. So I'm going to go to that with my mom, and I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Good, fantastic. And and let's uh, before we wrap up here, uh, JD, huh?
3: Yes.
1: (laughs) So what what was your? Were you uh, on track for that career path prior to as well?
3: Well, I've actually been a lawyer. This is my seventh year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty well established in that. My employer has been absolutely fantastic through this whole process, and let me take off as much time as I needed to do chemotherapy and surgery and whatnot, and they allowed me to work part-time, which has been fantastic because my doctor's appointments never seem to end, and I'm still doing physical therapy once or twice a week to recover from the double mastectomy. Uh, so so they've been fantastic. And having the JD has really been invaluable in battling my insurance company.
1: I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to mess with a lawyer.
3: <laughs> Seriously. Not so much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, that's great. So, so you're uh... – you seem to have, uh, you know, things in as much control as you possibly can, and and um, your marriage is working well, and your career is back on track, and you're managing your meds, and you weren't misdiagnosed, and you <laughs> you got treatment right away. It's like yeah. a Cinderella story. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, well, it
3: was it's it's an awful story. I mean, I went through hell. But I know, of course, like, of course. I, but I think that like things couldn't have gone better during that process. Right. You know. For having to go through cancer, it couldn't have gone better. Like everything just worked out perfectly for me.
1: Wow. Well you're our new best friend, so uh <laughs> I would love to uh you know reconnect with you offline. We'd love to send you some stuff and make sure that you you can possibly be a bit of a our black ops down there. We want we we want to make sure you come to Vegas next year.
3: Okay, sounds good.
1: Yeah, if you think surfing is cool, nothing mm-hmm. compares to seven hundred and fifty of you in Vegas.
3: All right, that, that sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool.
3: That's what I found at it, going to things like that UCI conference that you spoke at. It's just right. so awesome to walk in a room and know that all the other young people in there are dealing with similar issues to you. It's an amazing feeling.
1: That's awesome. Well, welcome to the club. No one wants to belong to, but once you hear your family.
3: Yeah. <laughs> thank you. All
1: right. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you so much. All right.
3: Thanks. Lisa Lambert. Thank Lisa
1: you. Lambert. Good luck to you. Take care. You too. Bye. All right, let's get to the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, man. Okay, do not forget to check out our newly launched online store. Kudos to Kenny Kane for bringing this up. StupidCancerStore.org. Pick up some cool threads for you or someone you care about. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your
0: one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. What do we got going on, Kenny?
4: All right, a lot of Stupid Cancer Happy Hours coming up Wednesday, July 25th, over here across the Hudson in Jersey, uh, Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in New Jersey. Wednesday, Wednesday, August 1st, Stupid Cancer Denver is relaunching with their happy hour happening at uh, 5.30 over in uh, standard Colorado time. And Friday, August 3rd, the night before the Young Adults' WTF Cancer event down in DC with Living with Cancer. We have a Stupid Cancer DC Metro happy hour. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome.
1: Okay, this is big news, folks. Uh, we won the uh, most uh, innovative use of social media in the world last year from Stay Classy. Well, out of 2,400 nominations, we were selected as the top five finalists in health and well being. Please visit stupidcancer.com slash vote. That's stupidcancer.com slash vote and cast your vote to help us win again.
0: Join the mailing list for the 6th Annual OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas. Visit omg2013.org. Click in the upper right-hand corner and enter your email address to receive the latest e-news updates on dates, venue, agenda, registration, the Players Club, and other exciting information.
1: All right, New York City metro area, that includes you, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. to Save the dates for the inaugural OMG Summit East being held on September 15th at Baruch College right here in Manhattan. This special one-day free event will be limited to the first 150 registrants. So visit omgsummit.org east, or visit, actually, it's even easier if I say east.omg, east, east.omg2012.org. And that is your, your stupid, stupid Cancer, cancer news. news. All right, time to bring out the big guns. Go for it. The brainiacs.
5: Go for
0: it. The
1: sciences. Here we go. All right. I had the privilege of meeting these folks a couple of months ago. They are intensely intelligent, brilliant. Dr. Laurie Wenzel is a professor of medicine and public health at the University of California, Irvine, nationally. She uh, chairs the Health Outcomes Research Committee of the Gynecologic Oncology Group. Her research examines biobehavioral outcomes of a counseling intervention designed to improve quality of life and stress-related biomarkers for cancer survivors. And Ed Nelson is the chief of HEMOC, associate professor of medicine and molecular biology and biochemistry at UC Irvine. He's a physician, scientist, with research interest in improving how the immune system fights cancer, including studies of downstream biological effects of chronic stress. I don't know what that means. He will late-personize this for us, and I'm really, really excited to have them on the show. Please welcome Doctors Ed Nelson and uh, <clears throat> Larry Zell. Welcome to the show. Hello, doctors.
5: Hello. Here. Thank
1: uh, you. I, uh, I, I was telling the crew, I know you're listening for a little bit, but you know I attended that amazing workshop that you gave at University of California Irvine a couple of months ago and was blown away by the science and like, we got to get you on our show to talk about what this means. It's just so extraordinary. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of, you know, I couldn't get the word shoelace out of my mind. So that's how we've been promoting it uh, to pique curiosity. But let's just start with the basics. Why don't you talk to us about what is biobehavioral research and you know uh biomarkers these are strange words to people these days
5: All right well thank you so much and we're both delighted to be here and to talk to you about what biobehavioral research is in the context of cancer survivorship um and what what we examine fundamentally is the notion that the diagnosis of cancer as well as the treatment are what we would call chronic stressors and my guess is everyone listening to the show would would probably agree that that is a stressful experience and it's chronic in nature often. And what that does then is that it negatively impacts quality of life. It disrupts a person's quality of life often emotionally, uh, physically, functionally, socially, economically. And those stressors over time can unfortunately cause additional stress, both psychologically as well as uh, biologically. And that may affect the, the um, fundamental uh, physiology as people are trying to recover from their disease. So when we say bio-behavioral, bio bio would, would assume biological aspects, and behavioral would mean just that, behavioral and uh, psychological ramifications that might um, impart behavioral changes. So in essence what we're examining is how having the cancer diagnosis and having the cancer treatment is a stressor and how does stress affect one's life um emotionally and physically. So let there is, you're not
0: talking then just to make this clear in terms of how the stress you're talking about how the stress itself Affects your life and how, it, from a biological perspective, but not how it affects the illness or the disease per se. Correct.
5: That that's a great question because that's one of our long-term questions. And so one way that we're that um, Dr. Nelson and I are attempting to examine that is by saying, okay, if we believe this premise, then can we modulate this, or can we help to improve somebody's quality of life and health status? In such a way that it might positively influence outcomes long-term, which may which may include um, additional disease or not.
1: Right, because we were commenting at the top of the show that this is this is you know from a sort of a public consciousness perspective, it's not like research in the traditional sense of guys in labs with beakers. You're really <laughs> looking at the quality of life after the diagnosis has been made and how to mitigate some of that stress through sort of through, not, you know, like you you could meditate, you could do yoga, you could just try to relax, but it's just so impossible. You're really trying to understand the science behind ways that we can literally work on those critical issues that you face going through this process.
5: Exactly. and And we attempted to evaluate that through a psychosocial telephone counseling intervention, um, for some cancer survivors. But I do want to clarify that we do have uh, guys in labs, except they're women in labs. With
1: the,
5: <laughs> <laughs> just to clarify.
1: Okay, of course, of course. So let, let's go to Ed then. Um, I, I, you know, the name of the tonight show is What the Hell is a Telomere? And uh, I'd love you to be the one that does the shoelace analogy for us. Well, the
2: the concept of a telomere uh the analogy that you've described and and that we used at our conference was that our our shoelaces uh, have ends that have to be uh, sort of capped, if you will, and and kept uh, from unraveling. And the little plastic or or, uh, piece that's around that is is oftentimes referred to as as an applet. Telomeres, because your DNA uh, your genetic material in a cell is also linear uh, it has an end too and and that end has to be kept from unraveling and the way that the 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 our cells do that is by use of telomeres so one can envision the telomere as being that little plastic uh, 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 cap if you will of the of the shoelace so that it doesn't unravel. And these telomeres consist of very specific repeating sequences, and they can be quite long, but as we get older and under some physiologic circumstances, they shorten. And if they get too short, as one might expect, the the gene, the, the chromosome, and genetic material starts to unravel and then is subject to potentially breaking and recombining and raising all sorts of havoc in the sub.
0: So how can you pre- prevent them from getting too short? <laughs> if that's a real well,
2: question. <laughs> just
0: say
1: uh, 11 years old forever. Uh,
2: <laughs> or can well, there, you? Well, we actually didn't know until we conducted our study uh, whether you could uh, actually do that or not. The There has been observations that in Populations which are, which we would generally ascribe a, a chronically stressed. So, for example, caregivers of of handicapped or chronically ill children, or uh, caregivers of uh, of HIV uh, infected patients. Uh, those sorts of uh, circumstances. Those populations have. Uh, telomeres, which have shortened at an accelerated rate relative to their age matched controls, hmm. so with each cell division, you lose a little bit of your telomere. but when you're stressed or you're in one of these stressed populations, you lose them faster interesting so we because our our study uh looked at individuals who had already been treated for their cancer, they were survivors. Uh, but they had experienced these chronic stresses. Those chronic stresses then, as Laurie was mentioning, started a, a negative impact on their quality of life. And Dr. Wenzel's uh, counseling, telephone counseling intervention, had uh, already been demonstrated to uh, improve that quality of life, help the, the our cancer survivors uh, do better in terms of, of coping with that stress and had modulated other uh, biological markers, if you will, of of chronic stress. So we went back to those samples, to those biological samples, and asked if there was a difference in the rate of telomere loss in the individuals who uh, had improvement in their quality of life, who did better handling their stress, Uh, hypothesizing that those that didn't handle their stress as well and had persistent uh, derangements of their quality of life, would have more loss of telomeres over time than those who uh, improved their quality of life, who would then have, a, if you will, not such a, a steep slope in terms of the loss of their telomeres.
0: Right. Let me ask you both a very basic question, um, which is not exactly what you're talking about, but it related and, again, very basic and comes up a lot within our community and, I think, just with the average person. Somebody will have a lot of stress, and you can hear somebody say, you know, don't have stress, they'll give you cancer. I mean, will it ever get to the point where you're just sort of uh, study, basically, or, or, or at all be any connection as to, you know, the fact that stress in and of ex- excessive stress in and of itself could actually, in some cases, um I don't know, lead to or perhaps un- unleash if, if if, it's sort of true that any one of us perhaps is capable of um, of getting cancer, that something about having stress could kind of unleash this in somebody's system?
2: So the, the answer to that question is that we don't know yet. Right. It is one can put together a sequence of, of observations, which would lead us to propose that that's actually the case. So we know that if the telomeres are too short, Mm -hmm. that can lead to the genetic material within a cell um, breaking and rearranging, and that that happens early on in the evolution of of cancer, and that that, that those phenomenon where we have too short of telomeres leads to an increase of... Of cancer development. We also know that under stressful conditions the telomeres are shorter and we know that now uh, that uh, if we can uh, modulate the stress response uh, that those uh, telomeres can actually become a little bit longer. But what we don't know and what we won't know for some time until we conduct much larger, much longer um, studies that in, involve the other end of the cancer spectrum, right? not cancer survivorship, but, but individuals at risk of cancer, is whether modulating the stress response actually modulates the um, rate of development of cancer, whether, whether mm-hmm. that can change both the telomere uh, loss and other biological factors which influence the development of cancer,
1: so let's bring uh Dr. Wenzel back because I want to talk about this study, and uh that the uh, the outcomes are the the women who took the study experienced positive more positive outcomes than those who didn't. Can you talk about uh what that was like?
5: Yes, yes, and that actually links back into the question of stress what stress is, and so one thing that I, the way that I might answer how people might um benefit from a program like this is that we all have stressors in our life and some of us have you know, stressors that we perceive as, as unique and other people would say it's not as unique, but what is most important is how one copes with one's stress. And so the premise of our counseling intervention was to assist people in um, uh, kind of galvanizing their adaptive coping strategies around a given stressor, which the patient herself would be able to identify on the phone. So we it was a six-session telephone counseling model. Um, the first session uh, was really to just get a snapshot, a kind of a psychosocial snapshot of what these stressors were for a ge- given individual. And then our counselor and the patient would then um, prioritize what was most important for them to talk about in the remaining sessions. And then in an ideal world, then the next week, they would again um, talk to their counselor over the phone and maybe talking about what we're calling managing emotions and stress or stressful situations, which was one of the most um, favored sessions of the whole um, project. Another was enhancing health and wellness, and that covered areas of how to talk to your doctor, um, how to communicate more effectively your medical concerns. Um, That also, um, we discussed a lot about health promotion activities Are you eating well? Are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Things that we know might mediate health outcomes long-term. Another was addressing relationship and sexual concerns, because this is a group of women with gynecologic cancers, cervix cancer in particular. So we tailor then an intervention towards what we know to be um, problems associated with a particular cancer type. And then finally, we would kind of summarize this all for people, and at, at the end of each session, we would send them a tailored letter, again, summarizing what the intervention was and things that they might want to work on before they talk to the counselor again. And then one month later, they would have a booster session just to see how are you doing, what are you working on, um, are you being able to carry forward with the things you learned during the session. And so, as a result of this, we found that people did—they had improved quality of life compared to the women who didn't receive the counseling. And um, more recently, we, we've been replicating this in a much larger um, cohort and have found um, also very promising results this second time around.
1: So, I, I, I'm just interested in the the whole. I mean, there are so many permutations and com- combinations of of lifestyle. That go into understanding the the science and the how do you you know separate the wheat from the chaff as far as outcomes go, you know are you able to, like for example, we had a question from our live chat room about nutrition you know if someone happens to be uh slightly more uh, well nourished or on different types of vitamins or nutritional therapy or you know or even if just their their inherently personality is is that of a more relaxed individual, does that skew the data? to help you understand how impactful the actual um, therapy uh, and uh, teleconference outcomes were to that individual.
5: Right. Well, the short answer is no, it doesn't, but the reason is because it's the beauty of a randomized trial. Right. So we we have the opportunity, or not the opportunity, people are randomized either to get the intervention or not, and so one assumes that things like, you know, personality differences or eating well versus poorly are, you know, equalized between the two arms. So in terms of conducting a study, I, we feel pretty good about our results, but I appreciate the comment that, well, what about if, you know, somebody is really, um, you know, nutritionally um, kind of impaired or not? Might that might that alter things? And I would say that, you know, with, with respect to nutrition in particular, almost every patient enjoyed talking about their dietary concerns with the counselor. And the counselor was in a position to talk through that with them.
1: Understood. Um, So what what have you heard from the patients themselves, um, you know, who were part of the randomized study? Do you disclose the outcomes to them or do they just, you know, were they surprised? Is it something they can, like, take home with them and evangelize or or get behind for future research?
5: Uh, That's a great question. Um, and we need to be more proactive about our outreach after the study is complete. What we've heard from them, though, af- after completed, we conduct kind of a process eval, if, if people are willing to get back in touch with us, and then we ask them, okay, what did you like, what didn't you like, what do you think worked well, worked well for you? Um, so in that respect, you know, it, but it's kind of biased because the people who respond back to us are usually the people who are, were pleased, so we recognize that um but people for example told us that their favorite counseling session was about managing emotions and stress and that was important information um so that that tells us that okay that's something that we need to continue to focus on in the future
2: and absolutely everybody did not like the fact that we collected blood from them <laughs> okay <laughs> so that that was that was the downside uh we we needed the, the blood and saliva to do the laboratory analyses and that was uh clearly something that they although they appreciated the the uh need to do that, it, it, they would be quite happy if we could find another way to do it without taking their blood and saliva.
1: You need those uh Star Trek uh laser things that go right in your neck. <laughs> Yes, we
5: do. exactly right. <laughs> well,
1: the, the truth is everything you're doing here, I mean, is under the umbrella of, like, this new emerging science um, in, in the world of cancer, but it's applicable across the board to other different diseases, correct?
5: Absolutely, yes.
1: It's, it, you know, has there been a wider adoption of these, you know, thinking genetically, thinking more, uh, you know, uh, Individualized medicine, you know, there's been a huge upswell in, in the trend for people adopting this as, you know, no longer, you know, you know, uh, hackery, but there's real definitive science behind this now.
2: Well, that's true, and and you raised the point a little bit earlier that uh, some people, uh, some personalities might do quite well with yoga, um, other people might do quite well with uh say tai chi or other people would do well with pet therapy or take your pick uh that there there may be individuals or characteristics of individuals which m- allow them to respond to particular approaches but which with other approaches they won't have as good a response uh and as, as much benefit and part well, of the part of what needs to be done and and what we're focusing on is is to try and define those individuals who who benefit the most within our study population and those that that don't benefit so much and then to to go back and ask, okay, so what's the difference between them and and how might we uh, think about helping those individuals who, who didn't respond as well to the counseling intervention? Is there some hint in in their res- responses to the data that we collected uh, that might um, instruct us as to how to help them better.
0: Well, that was my question. If somebody, you know, I mean, do you get somebody who says, uh, I have shortened telomere. I mean, it's, it's biological in me and stress and I can't control it. I mean, is, it, would it, would a situation come as such that, you know, somebody would think, well, how am I supposed to manage my stress when it's, when it's, when it's truly something biological and perhaps can't be avoided. I mean, is that is that a, is that a realistic scenario?
5: Well, m- maybe one way I could address that is a, a little bit circular about where we actually have some data about who is in a position to benefit, participate and benefit from a, a counseling intervention like this, and who absolutely isn't. Um, and, and P.S. We will be analyzing their telomeres at some point too. But what we've discovered in our emerging data set is the people who come to the study with severe moderate to severe depression are also the people who are most likely to drop out of the study very quickly. Hmm. And that's counterintuitive right. initially because you would think, okay, well, these are the people who need help and who want help. But then what we also hear from those people is that I just really can't talk about this. It's making me more stressed to talk about right, it. Right, right, right. And so see you later. So so we're going to be able to answer a little bit of that about who this helps and who it doesn't help um, as as it relates to their psychological status. And we know that there is a strong body of literature associated with um, severe levels of depression, severe levels of anxiety, and physiologic manifestations of that.
1: So what is the actual scientific process to measure the length of one's telomere. I mean, for example, like down the road, could it be something like a 23andMe where you can actually get just a, a quick test or buy something over the counter at Walgreens and it'll give you like your status of, of where they're at in your body. So I the, think you're laughing at us. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 Not at all. I love Walgreens. <laughs> I mean, it could be Rite Aid, I suppose. CVS. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so the the to answer it most directly that there are three ways three different ways to measure uh telomere length uh the most uh the earliest way and the way which is most labor intensive is called a, a southern blot and that consists of taking DNA from cells and running it out on a gel and then coming back with uh radioactive probes for these telomere repeats and having uh measuring how far they travel down the gel the shorter the telomere length the farther it travels on the gel and so but that that takes <clears throat> a couple days for every analysis uh for each each sample so that's really not very uh and and it takes a lot of dna so those aren't very amenable to clinical trials such as ours uh where you have a finite uh, amount of of biological specimen to work with, and and because of the large numbers, we need to have a little bit higher throughput. The other two alternatives uh, for measuring them are not quite as quantitative, uh, but they uh, permit one to do longitudinal changes. So even though you don't have quite the same measure of exactly how many telomere repeats there are, you can tell if there's change over time. Uh, one of those is a, a PCR-based, a polymerase chain reaction-based uh, assay uh, that can be run on, a, on a, a quantitative PCR machine, and the other is the the um, approach that we used, which is called a flow fish, and and that consists of taking the um, the cells uh, and having a complementary DNA sequence to the telomere. Uh, which has a little fluorophore, a a dye on it, which will fluoresce when it goes through the flow cytometer. And one can then hybridize, melt the DNA, if you will, separate the strands in the presence of these other probes, these little uh, uh, complementary telomere probes, and they will then hybridize onto the telomeres, and the, the longer the telomere, the more signal you get, because you have more of these probes lining up on the telomere. Right. Uh, a long telomere is very bright. A short telomere is not so bright when it goes through the flow cytometer. The advantage of, of this is that one can look at telomeres in different cells uh, within the blood uh, and it can, uh, we can run those assays on multiple samples in a, in a fairly short order uh, and running flow cytometry is a very uh, standard and easy procedure. So we utilized uh, what was called FlowFish Um, uh, We've also established uh, that we can do the the qPCR uh, approach and and there's really high concordance between the two. Uh, We haven't embarked upon southern blot analyses, it's just too uh, specimen intensive.
1: We have a question for you guys from our, our intern, James.
4: Hi, doctors. Um, So you implied that the blood samples of the individuals who were being stored past their participation in the trial.
1: Other than measuring their telomeres, what other um, lab tests were you expecting to do or how long were you expecting to keep their blood samples?
2: For what purpose? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Our original hypothesis for this trial uh, was that the in the setting of chronic stress, uh, we know that the, the body does several things. It, it increases the amount of cortisol that it produces and decreases the amount of DHEA that it produces. It also increases the, the amount of what we term counter-regulatory or, um, if you will, immune-suppressive uh, cytokines. These are soluble molecules that talk to the immune system. Uh, and, and sort of keep it quiet, keep it dampened down a little bit. And, and importantly, the immune system uh, under chronic stress uh, adopts a, uh, an immunological stance, a, a profile that is, we term it a T helper type two response. Uh, this is a response that makes your body or helps your body to make antibodies to prevent you from getting infections, and if you think about it, under a chronically stressed situation, uh, your body may be saying <clears throat> "Excuse me, that it, it, it doesn't have the energy, it doesn't have the resources to fight off an infection, so it needs to prevent it, rather than have the capacity to fight it once it, it actually gets an infection. However, the The opposite side of that, the T helper type 1 response, is what your body uses to to clear out a virus once you get infected. And it turns out that that's the immune response that we think is most important for clearing out tumors and fighting off cancer. So you can think of T helper 1 and T helper 2 as being on opposite sides of a a, uh, seesaw. So if you have a whole bunch of TH2, you don't have very much of TH1, and vice versa. Understood. So we, so we've actually been measuring that the TH1, TH2 component, and the cortisol, and the DHEA, and the the immune suppressive cytokines in our original study, and showed that the in fact, as we would, as we predicted, uh, the immune system when quality of life improves, it actually shifts back. Uh, the balance changes uh, back to to the type of stance, which is uh, better for fighting off cancer. So that so it's not just telomeres that change uh, in the course of improving quality of life. It's a lot of other parameters also, and this. So we we've been focusing on, if you will, the psychoneuroimmune axis uh, to as our original hypothesis. And it was really when uh, the observations came out that chronically stressed populations had these decreased telomeres that we said, gee, we have, uh, we have this study and we have a, a, a little tiny bit of, of uh, sample still in the freezer. Um, maybe we, we know that we can modulate the uh, quality of life. Maybe we do something to the telomeres. And uh, we were pleasantly surprised to find out that we did. So I mean, again, it's
1: just—it's just overwhelmingly exciting in the sense that, like, this would have been just like not even in the mind's eye a couple of years ago. Um, we're almost out of time. I have one more quick question for you. If you could talk a, l- a little bit about—are you know, there other people doing this? Is there a, sort of a collaborative network of this type of science that's that's coming out around the country?
2: So the yes, yes, yeah. the. <laughs> So there's two two aspects to that. So um, I'm going to talk about the telomere part, and then I'm going to ask Dr. Wenzel to talk about the the counseling and and the behavioral uh, component. So uh, Dr. Elizabeth Blackburn and Dr. Uh, Appel, uh, both in uh, San Francisco, uh, have been uh, working on this uh, for some time, uh, they were the ones that originally made the observations that in stressed individuals uh, that they, they had an accelerated rate of telomere shortening. They have presented a poster but not uh, published a paper on a population where they also looked at longitudinal change, change over time, of uh, patients that had improvement in their quality of life and uh, they confirmed the same findings that we had which is that there's a shift in the uh, improvement in the telomere length there are um, other groups that are looking at at stress and telomere in different diseases and that includes things such as cardiovascular disease even uh in the setting of uh, uh mothers and uh, uh individuals uh, infants in, in um, uh, in pregnancy and then subsequently a- after birth in the, in the infants and so there it looks as though this this paradigm of having stress impacting telomeres is likely to be applicable across a, a wide range of of biological situations and uh, our sense is that it's likely to continue to gather uh, some interest uh, as as the observations become more concordant Got it,
5: and if I might just add uh, specific to cancer survivorship counseling interventions and in examining outcomes both um psychological and biological, probably the leader in the field is um Al Marcus at University of Colorado who established the psychosocial telephone counseling intervention model with with a number of um, different uh, survivor types, and more currently, Barbara Anderson at Ohio State University, who has influenced our work um greatly um has conducted really some very stellar work that is quite similar to this and she's done that with breast cancer survivors. So those are two examples.
2: And there are others that that have looked uh in a similar way at the at the biobehavioral component. Uh and and those include uh Susan Lutkendorf, also at Ohio uh, and Iowa. uh Iowa sorry. And uh and Anil Sud, who's at M D Anderson who um has also examined uh these biobehavioral components. Uh, and so there there's there's a fair number of individuals that are looking at this across the nation.
0: Well, Doctors uh Wenzel and Nelson, uh we can't thank you enough for being here with us. Unfortunately we have to uh we're running out of time here, but uh this is really this is really fascinating stuff as Matthew said. So uh, we thank you so much for uh, for bringing this to our audience, and, a toast uh,
2: to
1: shoelaces,
2: <laughs> and hopefully we
0: can we can have you back um, at some point to even talk more about it because it's really uh, like I said we'd love to have have our audience learn much more about it. No,
1: it's just the new thinking, yeah. It's just the new thinking, and it's it's you know it's all about your genes. It's all about how your insides work and understanding them instead of you know the the sort of the I guess one might call it the barbaric nature of traditional allopathic medicine, you know, cutting your head open and taking something out with a spoon, that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> we'll that's what they did that. to me. good stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
5: So if I if I might just close by acknowledging our funding agency, of course. um with without whom we could not have done any of this work and that's um Dr. Paige McDonald at the National Cancer Institute in the Basic and Behavioral Research Branch. So we'd just like to thank them.
1: No, a special thanks. And, again, you guys are doing amazing work. I was really blown away by just seeing it firsthand. And uh, Lenny just texted me, so he says hi and thanks for coming on the show. (laughs) Hey, Lenny. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you guys, good luck with everything. Thanks so much, and enjoy your weather.
5: I look forward to seeing you. Down there in
1: Southern California.
5: Thank you for the invitation. All
1: right, right, Lyra Wenzel and Ed Nelson. Some of the top scientists in the country. No, really, really, really amazing, amazing stuff. Yep. Um, I just read on, on the Facebook <laughs> uh someone prominent in the media died. I don't know if it was from cancer, but everyone's posting about it. Um Let's see. I don't know who it was. As we scroll through and have some dead air. I'll just start singing.
4: Doot 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 doot. Do,
1: do. I have no idea who it was. If you find it let me know, but we're gonna someone wrap
0: someone prominent in the media
1: died. Uh yeah, some I don't know, everyone's everyone's posting about it. So I have no idea. We'll mention it next week. I'll give you five seconds to find it. Otherwise we're going to our closing sequence in three Two. One.
2: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the, uh, internets.
1: Have you ever seen a grown man naked?
2: And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo!
1: You've done it again. That was
0: so <coughs> terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, number 233. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick
1: at stupid cancer. Okay, a special thanks tonight to our guests, Lisa Lambert, Dr. Larry Wenzel, and Dr. Ed Nelson from the University of California at Irvine. Join us next week, everybody, we'll be talking stupid colon cancer
0: with Dale Mintz. She's the executive director of the Colon Cancer Challenge Foundation. Dr. Thomas Weber, Director of the Colorectal Cancer Research Program. She's a Surgery and department in the Department of Veterans Affairs at New York Harbor Healthcare System. Brielle Zagaro, did I say that correctly, Matthew? Yeah,
1: Brielle Zagaro.
0: Zagaro, young adult uh, survivor of colon cancer, and she's a volunteer advocate at the Colon Cancer Challenge Foundation and in the Survivor Spotlight. The one and only Matthew Beckett, colon cancer survivor and an intern at Stupid Cancer.
1: All right, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, Kenny Kane, James Manning, and the whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week. See you next Monday. Good night, everybody.